Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. And welcome to another episode of Real Life Rescues. I'm Raphael. And I'm Dovi Maisel here with you again. Today we're going to talk about that call. Uh, there's the call that we all hate going to. Uh, the really, really tough call uh, emotionally for us as first responders. One that hits us uh, below the belt sometimes. Uh, really in the gut or the heart. Whichever euphemism you want to use. And it just it just hurts. And it never goes away. And it never goes away. Um, I unfortunately had that call two weeks ago, uh, where, uh, a, a friend of mine, actually uh, a close friend, I was called to an emergency. Uh, and even though I was a little bit of a distance away, I flicked on my lights and sirens and rushed as fast as I could to that emergency because I recognized the address as being, uh, the home of a friend of mine, a close friend, uh, who unfortunately lost their three month old baby. Um, and it was incredibly difficult uh, we responded to the call. I wasn't the first person on the scene, but I was there, uh, and I was there to, uh, take part in the CPR that was going on, which, uh, eventually turned out to be a failure. Um, and, uh, I was there to also provide some comfort for my friend who was going through it. Uh, it was a case of SIDS. There was nothing that could have been done. And just being there to remind her of that, uh, was something which was incredibly important uh, in retrospect afterwards. Um, but it was definitely difficult for me afterwards. And it was something which I even had to take a day off of work after, uh, the next day to start a process and deal with also try and help them out through their tragedy. Um, but it's something that hits us all. And it's, it's something, unfortunately, a lot of us go through, uh, especially in, as community-based responders where we often know the people, uh, our neighbors, families, friends, people from the community, which we see on a regular basis. Uh, so it comes, it hits close to home, literally. Yeah. I told her file at the beginning that I don't want to do this podcast because it take, takes me back to too many of these, uh, um, what we call that call. Uh, mine actually goes back. My first one goes back to when I was a teenager. Um, I was a, uh, young, uh, EMR volunteering on a, on a local ambulance here in Jerusalem. And we were called out to a, uh, unresponsive baby. And we come to the scene and I'm, you know, just on one of my first calls. I don't really know much of anything yet. And we walk into the house and, uh, you know, you, you can you can tell by the frantic neighbors waiting for you on the street. Um, and, and you run upstairs and, and you, you walk in the house and the, the paramedic has handed the baby. Um, mind you, I was 16 then, so um, the baby was not handed to me, but to the paramedic. And I'm watching this and I'm opening the oxygen and they're starting CPR and 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 what caught my eye was looking around um and just seeing mayhem everyone you know like screaming and panicking and and whatever and and uh, and the team were starting to do CPR on this baby and and the paramedic uh, like uh whispers to us like there's no real chance here but l- let's do it let's do it just for the show um you know and and, and I was too young to understand then uh, what what he meant was by when when he said let's do it just for the show, it was only years later that that I, I was doing it myself, 
as a paramedic coming into these calls of a, either SIDS or or any other of these calls that that you understand that the prognosis is very very low but you look around you and you see a normative home you see kids toys you see um a, a meal that was half eaten on the table you see you see you know the, the house not uh, um, organized for when guests come over rather rather you know when life just suddenly stopped and you understand that you have a responsibility here beyond obviously the efforts of trying to save that that infant's life uh, but you understand that you have a mission here and that is uh, that as we know the prognosis is low and we will not succeed in the CPR we need to show put on a show a Hollywood show of, of doing our best of doing our best monitors IV lines you name it everything pushing drugs everything that we can do even for the psychological effect of the parents knowing that everything that anyone can imagine that could be done for this infant to save his life is being done because at the end of this call we're going to end up going home or on to the next call or back to life but for this family this is going to be a life-changing moment and unfortunately not for the good so at least for their closure um, they need to know that we as the ambulance team did whatever we can and tried our best to save this uh, this infant's life and and and, and this show that I, uh, I i i call when i call it a show is something that i think is 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 really really important um for for us as medical professionals the, the easiest thing is you know call it pronounce and you know walk out but then what's what's left for the families nothing was done we didn't give it a chance or as they say you didn't give electric shocks you didn't uh you know and and i i think it's important for us to to really give that that opportunity for the family to understand that everything that can be done was done um it prevents a lot of guilt coming later absolutely and not just guilt but also accusations and anger uh frustration at the moment and then that can develop into uh negative feelings that can accompany that family for a very long time because uh, like you said, this is a life-changing event. It's a life-shattering event. And putting on the show, which is something that, that we did there as well, um, it wasn't clear in the instance that uh, two weeks ago for me that, that, that it was a fait accompli, uh, but it was, it was leaning in that direction. But we continued and, and followed. To the best of my knowledge, the show is now protocol, uh, at least in Israel, in terms of uh, situations involving infants. So in general, in general, the the ground rule in Israel is in infants and in babies, um, uh, we do not pronounce at home. We will always do the transport to the hospital um, while performing CPR, and uh, and in the hospital, the, the the patient will be pronounced for many different reasons. First of all, for those psychological effects. Second, for the for the circle of support of social services uh, within the hospital that are able to uh, to start treatment there beyond what we call our psychotrauma unit, uh, t- taking it to, to, to the next level right. uh, and handing over to social services um, on, on, the, on the community level. Which will then connect them usually to municipal services as well. Exactly, for, for, for giving that holistic uh, um, approach of, 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 of making sure that family doesn't flip out. 
And uh, it's something that's incredibly important with it as well. We want to show the family that everything's been done. So even, like you said, that transport to the hospital uh, is part of that uh, part of that effort, which is then hopefully going to give the family a little bit of comfort, at least in knowing that everything that could be done was done um, and that you know it wasn't a situation of, of helplessness where we just raised our hands and said, sorry, guys. Um, but we did our best. They did our, they did their best. And, you know, the situation just, uh, wasn't meant to be. Well, in, in, in the path of life and the natural course of life, it's, uh, parents are not supposed to bury their children. And, and, and therefore when it comes to pediatrics and, and infants, we do the transport. However, the rest, you know, adults that unfortunately pass away for many different reasons, pronounce at home, leave at home. Um, going back to another one of those, uh, Calls was already years. I was years into the into the profession. I remember getting called out. This was a, a six a.m. Um, towards the end of the of the of the graveyard shift, being called out at six or five a.m. to a uh, to a unresponsive baby. And I remember walking into a into a house, um, and you know, totally normative house. Uh, you walk into the bedroom, you see a a a a, a a mother that was um, that was unresponsive in her bed. You see a house. I don't know. There must have been two or three kids running in the house. Balloons in the living room, and you know, happy birthday signs from the night before birthday party that was there. And the kids trying to wake their mom up. And I think that struck me. Yeah, obviously. And 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 you know, we come up to the to the patient. I assess her. You didn't need a lot of experience to understand that there's nothing, nothing more to do. There really is nothing even to start here. Um, and you see the 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 husband and the kids there, and they're trying to jump towards the bed. Mom, mom, and and they and, and obviously the kids were very small. They didn't even grasp what was going on there at the moment, and and we're pronouncing because there's nothing left to do. We you know we hook up the monitor for protocol. Um, and, and obviously systole, there's nothing to do. And you see the kids running around there and you see the, the, the husband, she, she must've been no more than 30, 31, if I recall. And, and I'm looking around and I'm like, wow, how do you even explain to this man what is happening now? Because he had, he himself was not grasping the severity of the situation. He thought his wife fainted or or whatnot because they had a great party at night with the kids and whatever birthday party for one of the kids, and 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 she simply didn't wake up in the morning. And I'm trying to think to myself, I I, th- I think this is one of the calls that really really went with me for many years. And when I recall it now, you know, preparing for this episode, I was trying to think, wow, which were the ones? And this really was one of those. That really stuck out to me because this is, yeah, like I was saying, the course of life, parents don't bury children, children bury parents, and this fits that protocol. But the the magnitude of even not even not even being able to explain to these kids, which are too young to understand what happened, and to see this father with three little kids running around there and needing to tell him that his wife just passed the morning after a birthday party of one of the kids is something that is very, very tough. I know we always, we always end up circling back 
to our psychotrauma and to our, uh, to our own, to our own uh, um, mental health issues, which uh, I, I think these cases also have a lot to do with. Yeah. Is, you know, yes, this is, this is the course of nature. Yes, she's young. And yes, it's not parents bearing kids, but, but to understand what he's going to deal with from this day moving forward is very, very difficult. And I would easily put this into that category, refile of that call. That call. And, and like you said, uh, you know, you touched on the, the idea of the psychotrauma unit and, and we, we have the internal phone calls now that are, that are protocol in place. I received one uh, two weeks ago myself. I actually initiated it for other people because I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't the first responder there. There were two other people before me. Um, so I made sure that they got the the calls and were, sp- and, and were spoken to. And I spoke to them. They were part of my team. Um, it's something that, uh, th- that follows up on the question. Okay, you've gone to that call. How do you deal with it? Um, and what, what something that I learned really early on is what you really need to always remember, and it's emotional and it's difficult. And yes, we are EMS responders and we see these types of things on a regular basis, but we always have to have a little bit of distance, um, of distancing ourselves and and recognizing that while it is a tragedy and it does affect us and it hurts us, it's not our tragedy. We were a very small part of trying to, I guess, uh, prevent that tragedy from occurring or rectifying it, and in those in in when we get that call, it's usually an unsuccessful attempt. Uh, but the tragedy isn't ours per se; uh, it belongs to other people, and we have to recognize that. But at the same time, we have to respect that we're human beings as well, and we feel it. We feel our pain. It's natural for us to feel a sense of because we were involved when we showed up and we participated. Uh, we do feel a sense of attachment in a lot of cases or a sense of, I wouldn't say responsibility, but a sense of, uh, compassion, compassion. All right. Being, thank you. I'll take, I'll be humoristic. Now you, now you got the English today. <laughs> this, this discussion has become very, very heavy. I'll take it a little humoristic angle is when I was in paramedics training. So, uh, you know, we're, 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 uh, training on, on starting IV lines and well, as EMTs, we, we were doing IV lines as well and everything, but we learned how to really professionalize and, 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 and start an IV lines. And, 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 and the ground rule, I think one of my instructors always told me is when you're starting the IV line, just remember it doesn't hurt you. And, and when you, when you stick that needle in and they go, ow, and you say, why are you yelling? It doesn't hurt me. <laughs> and, and, and like, it's really to connect compassionately to the patient's pain, but remember that it's not yours. Correct. Don't let it get in the way. Don't let it get in the way. You get that needle in, get that IV line started. If you're going to start thinking about this is painful to the patient, you won't be able to start that IV line as fast and as effectively as you need. You need to think this is what we need to do. Yes. Okay. So you'll soothe them. You'll confuse them. You'll tell them a joke, but but you got to get that IV line in fast. And they say humor is the best medicine. I've used it many times uh, in in patients uh, in order to try and alleviate a situation. Um, usually not in ones that are that severe qualifies that call. Uh, then it's usually humor is inappropriate. But in a lot of cases, humor can be used to alleviate a patient, calm them down, uh, and then hopefully speed up the process and get them Take faster. their mind. Take their mind off of... of uh, of, of, of the call itself, but I would not use that humor refile in these cases. Absolutely. <laughs> I just said that. Uh, I was reiterating. <laughs> just said, making that clear. Um, when it gets to that call, not humor, but it is important to realize it's not our pain. 
Um, but at the same, same time, to be respectful, to be compassionate, um, because we're sharing a little bit of it. Um, and that's something we have to recognize. We also have to make sure the people we're dealing with are cared for and do receive that circle of care in the hospitals with the social services, um, that they're connected once they get there to uh, all of the professionals they need to deal with uh, or see and uh, and get the next level of care, just like they get the next level of medical care, get the next level of care from a psychological perspective as well. And if to take you back to your, your previous point of not taking it too personally, sometimes it can get complicated. Um, first of it's all, always complicated. Yes, but sometimes it wouldn't be fun. Sometimes even more. Well, fun it isn't, but, <laughs> but, but it does become complicated, especially when we look at the type of work that we do. Um, and our organization as being community-based emergency responders. In many of these cases, we are connected to these people socially, meaning yes. it's not like when I was riding the rig as a paramedic and I'm running out on a call somewhere in the neighborhood on the other side of town of people I don't know. Here, in a, in a lot of the cases, we are treating our neighbors, we are treating people from our own community. And this, well, I don't know, one example is about a year ago, a year and a half ago, something like that. I, I get a call at, at about, once again, 6 a.m. of a uh, unresponsive baby. And I jump out of my house and, and I look at the name and the address and I see it's, it's my friend's house. People from my community, people from my uh, from my uh, synagogue, from the temple where I where I pray from my from my own community, and I'm like, Shh. three points, um, we'll bleep, <laughs> bleep bleep it bleep. out, um, and I'm like, oh no, and I and I speed over there, and and I'm I'm saying no, maybe it's a mistake, maybe it's that, and I walk in the house and it's not a mistake, it's 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 friends from my community, and and the baby had fallen, um, had fallen between they they put their their three, four week old baby into bed with them. And these were two beds, like two mattresses put together and the baby fell between them and suffocated. And unfortunately we started CPR and, you know, advanced life support, um, working protocol on and on and on. I'm talking about an hour, hour and a half, not giving up, transporting to the hospital, trying whatever could be done. And unfortunately it was not successful. And, and it's easy when it's that call that, you don't meet afterwards, but here is you're going to meet them again at the funeral later that again, afternoon together with the whole community. And you'll meet them afterwards during the days of mourning and, and supporting them in the community. And I can always say that there is a bright side, not always, but sometimes there is a bright side because you will be with them again a year later when they give birth to their new baby. And, and I think that that is something that, that is is, is is something that most professional EMTs and paramedics do not come across on a daily basis um, as opposed to our very unique group of volunteers, which are volunteers within the community. Yeah. And you're talking about uh, the bright spots, but there's also some negative spots. And, and I know this is going very dark this episode. Um, but there's instances where it doesn't have to necessarily be a fatality, but it, it, even in cases of birth, um, where because you've responded to an emergency of a friend of yours uh, or a neighbor, or a colleague, someone from the community who knows you, uh, they will cut ties with you because seeing you will just be too traumatic afterwards. Yes, yeah. And that even happens in cases of birth. Not, not, not blaming you. But not blaming. It, even it, saying thank you. Not out of blame. It's, they, they, they thank you and, and, and they, they literally will come up to you and say, I'm sorry, I, I, can't, I can't look at you. 
Right, because you it, remind it, me of the tragedy. Exactly. Um, it's one of the <clears> issues <throat> that I actually I faced. Uh, we had unfortunately uh, a death in our in our community just down the street from where I live, uh, and I went there and we did CPR. It was very clear from the beginning it wasn't going to be successful. We did provide to continue the CPR. This was uh, it was an it was a gray area because it was a child of of a parent, and the parent was the one who called emergency services, but it was an eighteen year old. Um, and it was an, an unfortunate, obviously very unfortunate situation. Uh, and I did the whole gamut there. I did, uh, first the CPR. And then after that, we did full nine psycho, yards, psychotrauma treatment for both the parent and the other children of the family. Spent a good three hours at that call. Uh, afterwards, uh, because I was a member of my community, usually if we're responding on a psychotrauma level protocols, we don't attend the funeral or the days of mourning afterwards. Um, in this case, because I was a member of my community, I did. After the days of mourning, and the family thanked me for for coming, for helping, for giving them support. And after the days of mourning, one of the family members came up to me, and they saw me, and they said, "Listen, you know exactly what you said before. I'm sorry, we can't really uh, stay in touch with you because it's just too traumatic for us. We hope you don't mind and don't get offended if, when we see you, we're going to move to the other side of the street or you yeah. know avoid you and just." It, it's it's simply too traumatic for them to see it. And I don't blame them whatsoever. It's something that's very understandable and human. Well, we got to stick in some black humor to lift the spirits here. There are other awkward situations that the people will cross the street as well. Births. For example, <laughs> when you deliver the baby of your friend's, uh, wife. Of, of your friend's wife, and yeah. there are no more get-togethers and barbecue families together <laughs> anymore there. And and when she'll be walking down the street, you will automatically cross the street the and never have eye contact anymore. Wait, can, can I? I'm not sure if that's more awkward or if if what what I had is a little more awkward. Uh, whereas there was a family I didn't really know. Uh, my wife knew them. Uh, I didn't really know them, and I went and I helped deliver their baby. Uh, and then afterwards, we got a gift package. And suddenly the wife wants to be friends. And like the husband's like, yeah, let's hang out. And we're like, no, <laughs> for me, it was more awkward. They yeah. were all about it. They were like, thank you. We want to thank you. We want to be there for you. And and we're very much uh, trying to uh, say thank you and become friendly with us because we helped them. It's, it's like, it's, it's like and I, I was, there was, I was one, not there, there was one of these stand-up, one of these comedians, I think maybe it was Seth Meyers. I don't know, but that, that, that told his story that how his wife gave birth in the lobby of their building. And he says, we have two doormen, two lobby men. I don't know what, what they're called in, in America. Uh, one has become best friends and one will never make eye contact with me. Because <laughs> <laughs> they went and got the cigar and the other received yeah. the baby. <laughs> exactly. So it can go all sorts of different ways. Um, yeah, community response is, is a mind job sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, it takes it takes EMS to a whole different league. Yeah. Um. And so we started talking about that call. We've sort of gotten now to, to births and, and helping out in the community again because that's what we do. It's what we're, so uh, we naturally have to bring that in. Um, what, are, what are some of the, I guess, uh, stranger calls that uh, have affected in this respect of maybe getting up to that call but not quite? So I, I, I do have one, but I think since we're coming towards the end of the podcast, I'll save mine for last or I'll hand it over to you because oh. I want to end off with a little optimism here. Are you calling yours best? No, I just <laughs> being, being in such a morbid and, and, and depressing episode, I think we want to leave with an optimistic note. So, okay. Okay. Um, so mine is also a little optimistic cause it's an almost that call. 
Uh, I had another friend down the street uh, from where I live. It's a very long street. Uh, and uh, the call came out for an unconscious child. Uh, this wasn't an infant. This was a four-year-old at the time. Uh, and we got to the house, and it was indeed unconscious. Uh, kid was out there, no, no pulse, nothing. Um, and we, we asked, we started very quickly initiating CPR. And once a number of people got there, we got the background story from the parents. The kid had fallen off of a, uh, a bunk bed. Uh, kid fell off a bunk bed and lost consciousness, stopped breathing. Uh, pulse disappeared. Um, thankfully after about, and, and we were all expecting that call, but this was fairly quick. We got there really very quickly within, within two minutes, uh, the first responders were there already administering CPR. Uh, and we were able to bring the kid back. Uh, kid survived. CPR was successful. Um, didn't even get shocked at the end. Uh, but just manual CPR allowed the body to reset, and the kid started. The pulse came back. A few minutes later, kid started breathing. Um, eventually woke up uh, with us still there. Uh, about 20 minutes later, as we were wrapping things up and ready to go, um, kid started regaining consciousness very slowly. Took him to the hospital, and thankfully today the kid is fine, not even any neurological damage. Uh, so we we thankfully I think due to the the quickness of response uh, that was there, uh, we managed to avoid uh, that call from happening. And I think that's really the success. And like you were mentioning before, uh, where you see hopefully a year later the family having a new baby. Um, one of the things we have to remember when we're going through that call uh, is that. We can't go to pieces because of the work we do, because even though we had that call today, maybe later in the shift, maybe the next call, uh, if not, maybe tomorrow or the next day, we're going to have that call, but we're going to be able to prevent it from being that call. Yeah. And, and, and I must say the difference between my professional life as a, as a EMS responder on the rigs that I really try to, you know, once we drop the patient off in the hospital to not follow up. Um, is not possible in the community, which is very different, which just surrounds you and you live with the people. And, 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 and I've shared both worlds and I've been sharing both these worlds for, for the most part of my life. And, and I, I just remember one story that, that really always comes back to me with, for, to, to give me that boost of optimism. And, and that was a call that I was uh, called out uh, to, to, in my neighborhood to, a, um, to an MVA, a, a it turned out being a kid that was on a bicycle, he wasn't hit by a car, but he, he smacked into a, 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 a brick wall, um, severe head injury, multi-trauma. We really, you know, pulled the whole nine yards on, on, on treating this kid, took him to the trauma unit. And, and for months he was in, in ICU and, and I, I, I wasn't really following. I really, like I said, I always try to disconnect. Um, and this was maybe a year later, I was, uh, walking down the street and, and, and it was on a Shabbat afternoon and people are just walking, uh, you know, families walking down the street and suddenly this guy comes up to me and says, Hey, Dovey. And I'm like, yeah. He says, remember this kid? And I look around and I say, which kid? And he points at his son who's just walking with him and the whole family there. And I say, no, not really. I, I don't know this guy very well. He's just like, you know, someone from the neighborhood. And he said, this, this is the kid. And I'm like, what kid? He's like, this is the kid from that bicycle accident. And I'm like, no way. And the kid is up around and I'm like, wow, wow. And that was like, for me, I, I, I look at these calls and say, wow, it really was 
worth it all from that call turning into these things it really is worth it all and everything that and and going through the those bad calls to see what happens with the with the ones that end up like this really gives the energy and before we wrap up Rafael, i just want to mention one thing today is is a big day for me because yesterday my uh son my teenager that's almost 16 completed his a uh, his uh, EMR training and went on his first shift on an ambulance. Oh, wow. So you can see we can't teach our kids to stay away from what we do. We can say, uh, do, do, do as I say, don't do as I do. So he doesn't listen to me. And yesterday he he, he completed his training and actually he finished his first shift. His wow. eight-hour shift coming home saying, Dad, wow, I had chest pain uh, patient. I had this and that. And I'm like looking at my teenager and I'm saying, oh, my God. This is looking in the mirror all over again. And, and uh, so a shout out to him, to Tomer, my son, for, uh, for starting his EMS career. Congratulations. Thank wow, you. That is a special day. Okay. Uh, that's all the time we have now. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Stay safe out there. <laughs>